You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us uh, on this Independence Day week. I hope you've had a wonderful holiday. We have a special update for you here today because we've got this blockbuster testimony that could blow the Clinton email scandal wide open. So I'll talk to you about that. And we've got the crisis on the border, which is being worsened by politicians who are wanting to upend the rule of law there. And then there's more going on here in Washington with the assault on the president. The Kukabal is getting its game back together again uh, with the Mueller testimony coming up in a few weeks. And I'll, I'll give you an update on that. But first up is this extraordinary testimony we received from a former State Department official. He's the former director of the Office of um, Information Programs and Services, which is essentially is the Freedom of Information Act office involved with obviously responding to FOIA requests, handling records generally for the State Department, and a gentleman's name is John Hackett. He's no longer there, and you'll see why in a moment. Uh, But he testified that he had raised concerns about Hillary Clinton's emails use repeatedly. Specifically, he raised also concerns about how her lawyers were going to review all those emails that she took, ignored, And plus, he raised concerns that they were interfering improperly with email productions to the Congress and to the public uh, related to Benghazi, interfering in a way that placed our national security at risk. So when I say blockbuster, I mean it. So Hackett was a part of court-ordered depositions and testimony that we were granted by Judge Royce Lambert, who, uh, as part of a Benghazi FOIA lawsuit we pursued, Uh, was quite upset that the government tried, the State Department and Justice Department, uh, tried to hoodwink the court and shut our case down before they fessed up to having Clinton emails that they were trying to hide from us. And uh, so uh, he granted us discovery. We deposed our attorneys. We essentially completed that first initial round of discovery. Our attorneys have questioned about a dozen witnesses in the last few months. We've gotten new documents and other things. And some of the highlights of the testimony we've received thus far, both written and in person. Uh, Remember, uh, Hillary Clinton's lawyer testified she got immunity after she deleted the 33,000 emails. The top FBI official who uh, was supposedly investigating the Clinton email issue Uh, admitted that they found Clinton emails in the Obama White House, the executive office of the president. The top security official at the State Department, deposed by us, he admitted they warned Hillary Clinton not once but twice about her email practices, uh, or specifically about don't use a BlackBerry and be careful about the use of personal emails for government business. She was warned. And then we uh, found out uh, additional documents showing that the Obama White House was involved in the cover-up and lies about the Clinton email system. I mean, one of the big issues is that, well, no one figured it out until late in the game that Hillary Clinton had this email system. That's not true. Well, go back and think about it like this. Hillary Clinton is the head of the State Department. She knows about her system. Her people know about her system then. The State Department knew from the beginning. And certainly they knew generally as a matter of under the law related to the Federal Records Act and the Freedom of Information Act for years. 
but then they couldn't avoid the issue because people started asking specific questions on her emails and that's when they started lying to the American people about it and uh, misled the courts and Judicial Watch and that's why there's this email scandal because not only were there the mis was there the mishandling of classified information but you also had uh, the uh, misleading of federal courts, Congress, subpoenas, things like that, that were all of which were impacted negatively by the big lies about the Clinton email system. So the judge wants to know, A, you know, was there an effort to hoodwink him? There's no doubt there was. He also wants to know whether Hillary Clinton used, the freedom of, uh, used her system to avoid the Freedom of Information Act. No doubt that happened. And then uh, more as importantly, because it's FOIA, well, where are the other emails that may be out there that Judicial Watch and the American people have a right to have reviewed and released to them, uh, specifically Clinton emails? And this is all in the context of a lawsuit about Benghazi. And so the judge wants to know, well, was Benghazi one of the reasons all of this uh, scamming took place? They didn't want us to know about the emails because they were afraid what might be in there about Benghazi? Well, you'll see that may be the case here. So getting back to John Hackett, he's this uh, former top official in the State Department involved in records management. And uh, he, uh, he was blowing the whistle repeatedly on what Hillary Clinton was doing. In June of 2013, there was this famous photo, you may have seen it, Hillary Clinton's wearing a dark, pair of sunglasses looking at her Blackberry. And I think she used it for her first Twitter uh, picture or something like that or associate with her Twitter feed when she opened it. And, um, and this is what we say, Hackett testified about his initial concern over Clinton's email use arose in June of 2013. Now remember, we weren't told about her email use publicly until, until March of 2015, almost two years later. He saw that photograph and he thought, and this is a quote, and that got me thinking, well, what, what was that Blackberry? Because the picture was of her on a government plane. Was it a government Blackberry? And if so, were there emails relating to that Blackberry? Oh boy, that's an inconvenient question. And he went and talked to his uh, director, Cheryl Walter, and she said, after seeing that photograph and suggested we had to be careful about what sort of responses we made related to Hillary Clinton's emails. When it, if there was a no records response, there was, that was being given out. So they were giving no records response, lying when people were asking about Clinton emails. And he said, well, we, should, we have to stop saying that. And so you know what they did? they essentially just stopped answering the requests, wouldn't tell them any, anything one way or another. So they specifically and, and, and actively hid her email usage from those seeking these records as they're able to under law, including Judicial Watch. You know, and he looked up and he, and he, and he pursued it further. He said, the other thing that we did or I did at the time was we wanted to find out what this BlackBerry meant. So we tasked, my recollection is, we verbally tasked the department's records manager at the time to look into the BlackBerry. And they asked Clarence Finney, who was the secretary's manager of records in her specific executive office, to ask him what he knew about the emailing habits. And she didn't find out much from him. 
And she asked the State Department that's part of the intelligence community. And they asked to see if there were any classified emails on the classified systems that the secretary might have produced. And they said they didn't have any. So there was a lot of confusion about exactly what that BlackBerry meant at the time. You had a concern as to how the department was responding to FOIA requests that related to Secretary Clinton's emails after you saw the photograph holding a BlackBerry. My recollection is, and I had been there two months, that someone had told me that, and I can't remember, that she did not have an email account, a government email account. So there was obviously a contradiction here when you know there's that photographs. So we ju were just there trying to find out what was the ground truth. So that's why I had a concern about issuing responses that said no records had been located. You know where the records were? Well, I guarantee you that some of them were in the State Department because she was sending emails in the State Department. She had taken them improperly when she left office. So what's even worse is he wasn't asking a question they didn't already know an answer to. He was being gamed, it looks like to me, by his colleagues and the supervisory staff at the State Department. Why? Because the State Department at that time had already been lying. They had said there was a no records response despite knowing that there was this Clinton email issue out there. And that no records response, that lie, was set up in consultation with where? The Obama White House Counsel's Office. So Judicial Watch's other discovery found that the Obama White House Counsel's Office was orchestrating the no records response on the Clinton email issue. So, you know, when you wonder why Hillary Clinton hasn't been prosecuted yet, you know, one of the answers is because you can't prosecute her without raising issues about the conduct of other people in the Obama administration, including in the Obama White House. So Mr. Hackett had this inkling something was up, right? And so fast forward, Judicial Watch's uh, FOIA in this case and another case about her conflicts of interest kind of forced the State Department's hand. They know there are these records out there. The FOIA requesters like Judicial Watch aren't going to take, uh, are, are going to figure out something's up. Uh, they had given something to the Benghazi Committee, which was formed thanks to Judicial Watch disclosures, suggesting there were Clinton emails, and they knew uh, they were going to have to confront that as well. But it was in our case, in this case specifically, that they first admitted that there were other records that need to search. They didn't tell the court honestly what those records were, which were all the Clinton emails. So Hackett knew about these other emails. So she had taken 60 plus thousand emails and only had returned 30,000. And Hackett was concerned, well, what's, what's pro why are we relying on Hillary Clinton's people to tell us what government records are? They had, she had no right to take those business records with her, but she did it anyway. And she said, well, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna get back. And this is what uh, Hack Hackett knew something was up in that regard. And he talked to the State Department about this. I recall it wasn't much of a conversation. I mean, we have to say it was emphatic to the Undersecretary of Management, who was Patrick Kennedy, really top official there. And I didn't speak in tones like that very often to him. So he was pretty aggressive. You know that we needed these, these guidelines, meaning that when you look at a government record or a document, You've got to know what the rules are in deciding whether they're government or personal. 
And of course, you don't outsource it to a Clinton lawyer to do it. And when you said the undersecretary, are we referring to Patrick Kennedy? He says, yes. So our attorney asks, um, and then he goes, I think there might have been raised it with two other people, Rich Visick, who another senior official acting office, a legal advisor, a lawyer, and Peggy or Margaret Grayfeld, who was an executive level State Department FOIA officer. She's since passed away. We, she's been the FOIA person for, from our, you know, we always recognize her name because she was always responding to Judicial Watch FOIAs. Why did you, and our lawyer asked, why did you feel so strongly that this was necessary that they provide the information? Well, we heard there were there 50 or 60,000 emails, and they had, and they had, they being the secretary's team, had called out 30,000 of these, and which is, so we wanted to know what criteria they used. The standard for the National Archives is very strict. The National Archives sets records policies for the government agencies. If there was, if there were mixed records, that would be considered a federal record. If there was mixed personal and mentioned a discussion, there would be under the narrow National Archives rules, it would be considered a federal record. And do you know if the emails that were returned by Secretary Clinton and her attorneys, that they followed the guideline to include an email that would include in mixed information, personal or, informa or, or official? I don't know. Was a request ever made by Patrick Kennedy or anybody else who you raised this to? Ambassador Kennedy told me he would ask for the guidelines. Do you know if the guidelines were ever provided to Patrick Kennedy? Hackett, not during my tenure at the State Department. Well, let me, let me break that down for you. Because Hackett, it's even worse than what Hackett suggests. The irony is, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, as she's writing emails, under the rules and regulations at the time, she could decide which is government, which is personal, and she could have just deleted personal emails as she was writing them or, you know, on a regular basis. There's nothing that prevented her from doing that. But once she left office, all of those records became government records immediately. So she shouldn't have been able to take any of them without a review in the least. Now, she might have gotten copies of some of them, she certainly wouldn't have been able to take classified information, which she improperly did, which is just an outrageous violation of the law. But even her personal emails, the government would have kept. Because, you know, once you're gone, they're theirs. It does not mean that Judicial Watch or anyone else would get, quote, personal information under FOIA. Heck, we don't want personal information under FOIA. We are asking for government records. So if she's setting up yoga classes or uh, wedding planning, you know, the big lies she was telling about what was in the emails that she deleted, we wouldn't be getting those under FOIA. And that's not the issue. The issue is she took emails that she wasn't able to take. And then when the government wanted them back because their hand was forced by Judicial Watch, she and her lawyers decided what was going to be government and what wasn't. And sure enough, because Judicial Watch did receive the records that were deleted, at least some of them, there was classified information and government records among the records that were deleted or otherwise hidden. And if they had listened to John Hackett, if they had followed the rules from the beginning, not one of those records would have been deleted because 
you know, depending on which report you read, I don't know what the, you know, the FBI suggests, uh, told one news outlet that they got 17,000 records recovered. I don't think that's true. Based on our analysis, the FBI was only able to recover 5,000 of the 33,000 emails that Hillary Clinton and her lawyers deleted. And we know among those records that, that were those personal emails that were deleted were plenty of government records because we got them. We wouldn't get them if they weren't government records and classified information. And if people like Hackett had been listened to, if the rules had been followed, if they had followed the law the way they were supposed to, none of that would have been deleted. None of that obstruction would have taken place. And they allowed it to happen. That's why I say testimony like this ought to blow it wide open. Because they all knew at the State Department what was going on. They were warned. They knew directly. And to the degree they say, I didn't know, they don't have any plausible deniability because you had people like John Hackett, this eyewitness, come in and tell us he told people and warned them about it. Isn't all that outrageous? But it gets worse. There have been rumors that, and I, and, and I talked about this, and I hope you're able to review a discussion I had with one of our lead attorneys on the case, Senior Judicial Watch Attorney Ramona Kotka. And uh, I, you know, and it's hard. It, 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 we're a transparency organization at Judicial Watch, and so we get documents. We like to get documents. We like to get more information rather than less. We're happy when the government errs on the side of disclosure and gives us more documents. What, having reviewed hundreds of thousands of documents in uh, my 21 years here at Judicial Watch, this is my 21st anniversary at Judicial Watch. Believe it or not. So I've looked at a lot of documents. My colleagues have looked at a lot of documents. I have a pretty good feel about what documents, uh, what, what typically is withheld under classified information, what is classified, what isn't classified, what you ordinarily get, what you don't ordinarily get. And reviewing many of the Clinton emails, what struck me is that there was material in there that could have been classified. I said, there's, there are probably few people in Washington, D.C., a few organizations, in the least in Washington, D.C., who's have, had as much experience reviewing government records under the Freedom of Information Act as Judicial Watch. As dare I say it, no one else has, given the sheer volume and the millions of records we've received. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to complain. We're getting these records. Uh, I, I'm not in a position as a layperson to say that needs to be classified. But I, 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 my thinking was that they were releasing material that otherwise should have been classified because they were trying to protect both themselves and Hillary Clinton from any additional criminal liability. The more classified information, the worse it looks from a prosecutorial uh, perspective for Hillary Clinton. So, like I said, I have suspicions, but you know, I always have lots of suspicions, but I don't necessarily have evidence about to back up these suspicions in this case, other than my own experience, however extensive. Well, John Hackett confirmed my suspicions. And this is how he did it, because he testified that he was concerned about 
interference in the document release process, the FOIA process, uh, especially as it relates to Benghazi. And he testified that they were, let me get to the section of the, um, the document about this, forgive me here. Judicial Watch asked Hackett, he believed that there was interference with the formal FOIA review process in 2014, because that was when they were getting Hillary's emails. Hackett said he believed that some bureaus were convinced and analysts were convinced once it was explained to them to redact something but use a B5 exemption um, versus a B1 exemption. What does that mean? B5 is a non-classified exemption that allows the government to withhold what we call, what is called deliberative process material, basically to back and forth before a final decision. It's material we're often very interested in, we often don't get. And it's a big loophole that prevents the government from giving us a lot of documents. B1 is the national security exemption. So when you're classifying something or withholding something under B5, you're saying that underneath it, underneath the black marks that you often see with redactions, there's nothing classified. But when it's B1, they're telling you underneath those black marks, it's classified. And what Hackett is saying is that they were underclassifying and mislabeling classified material as unclassified in producing these records to the American people and to Congress. And he also testified that the uh, lawyer involved in this case, Carol uh, Catherine Duval, who, by the way, comes from Lois Lerner land at the IRS before she went to the State Department, that she wasn't doing the proper consultations with other government agencies, you betcha, about classified information. So it was a double whammy. They didn't want other agencies to get involved and start classifying stuff in a way to make Hillary Clinton look bad. And then when they had the decision power making, making power themselves, you had State Department officials underclassifying and interfering with the process. And so when you underclassify material, it means you're telling people it's not classified and you don't need to treat it as classified, which means it's not protected from disclosure the way it's supposed to be. It's not put on a secure system in the State Department. The Congress doesn't treat it as classified. National security was put at risk as a result of this cover-up activity to protect Hillary Clinton. That's what this testimony shows. Attorney General Barr and the Justice Department have more than enough evidence, uncovered by Judicial Watch, of course, to reopen the Clinton email investigation, to not only investigate Hillary Clinton, but her former colleagues at the State Department, frankly, in the Obama White House, and in the Justice Department itself. They were all in on this. They were all in on it. I mean, as if Benghazi wasn't bad enough, four people got killed. And then they lied about it. And then they got caught 
with emails, having an email system as a result of our Benghazi investigation, and they doubled down on the damage to our national security by releasing stuff improperly. And it isn't Judicial Watch saying this. This is a testimony of a former State Department official. So just incredible material. And, um, you know, I say it once, I'll say it again. Judicial Watch is doing the heavy lifting here. It was Judicial Watch that obtained this testimony. We received other testimony, as I said before, about uh, the Obama White House being involved in the cover-up, Hillary Clinton being warned twice about email usage and security issues, warnings she acknowledged. And they were lying repeatedly. The State Department knew almost immediately that Hillary Clinton was using an email system that wasn't being uh, searched in response to FOIA's congressional requests and other inquiries. Who knows what other lawsuits and other things that were going on there. And ever since this has been uncovered, we face nothing but obstruction and objection from the State Department and the Justice Department. And it hasn't stopped. You heard me, it hasn't stopped. This discovery that we received from the federal court judge, it came over the outrageously dishonest objections of this Justice Department. Thankfully, the federal court judge said, you know what, I, it's bad enough what went on during the Obama administration, he said, why is this Justice Department still defending the indefensible? He didn't use that language, but he essentially said it. And thankfully, he granted us this discovery. We got the goods. So no more excuses. I don't know what they're doing now. Secretary, excuse me, Attorney General Barr, he's expressed interest in looking and re-looking at this Clinton email issue, and I hope he does it. Certainly, we've got the documents, we've got the goods if he wants to do anything else on it. Statute of limitations hasn't passed on a lot of these email crimes and lies, so he should be able to do something if uh, he, he wants to exert the political will to do it. And in the meantime, we're going to evaluate all the testimony and evidence we've received and figure out what to do next, maybe ask for additional testimony to get more accountability because this process you know, we're an educational group. So this discovery that we're getting obviously is important to the court process, but because we publicize it in a responsible manner, we put the, dep the deposition I'm talking about, I encourage you to go to Judicial Watch's website and download it. You can look at it yourself. We have a video of the deposition, but you can't see that. You know why? Because this Justice Department and this State Department convinced the court not to allow it to be public at this time. So you can't look at it. But you can look at the deposition transcript. So I encourage you to do so. So, um, so important news here. I encourage you to review the material. And uh, we're going to keep on fighting for accountability on the Clinton email scandal. You know, and, and it's a segue. I'm going to segue into why this is obviously relevant because the federal court wants answers. But the Clinton email scandal and cover-up is relevant because without that, you wouldn't have had the Russiagate hoax. Look, the Obama gang was desperate to protect Hillary Clinton's candidacy. What better way to do that than to cover up 
the Clinton email issue and freeze the, justice, the Trump administration from doing anything about it once they won by making fake allegations against President Trump in Russia. All with the help, of course, of the Clinton campaign. No Hillary Clinton campaign, no shady dossier, no spy warrants, no collusion hoax, no Mueller investigation. And you would have had a Justice Department, as I said, that was unfrozen and might have been able to do something in the first two years in terms of a serious relook of the Clinton issue. And of course, they didn't do that because it was all Mueller all the time at the Justice Department. As I said, he was king of the Justice Department. And of course, he was part of uh, the get Trump crowd, the kookaball, as I like to call it. And sure enough, uh, they're uh, dissatisfied with the fact they were unable to find any collusion between any uh, Americans knowingly and the Russians in any involvement in American public policy discourse, certainly in the campaign. And they couldn't make the obstruction case because there was no obstruction case to make. And then Mueller inf infamously doubled down and just left, lifted the veil because it, they, the, the, they were, we were supposed to believe that Robert Mueller was the paragon of virtue. And he held a press conference essentially encouraging Congress to impeach President Trump. Outrageous abuse of power and authority, final act as a special counsel. So, of course, now the Democrats want him to come and say that again in testimony. And I've always, and I know the uh, uh, Trump administration has been of two minds, hot and cold, about whether he should testify. And I don't blame him on that because his testimony is geared at abusing and attacking President Trump in an inappropriate way. Uh, but he has a lot of questions to answer. And if I were the Republicans or, you know, maybe an, even an honest Democrat, they are there. I'd be asking Mueller a lot of questions. Why, given your interest in the FBI job and the fact that you had interviewed for it, would you then think it ethical and appropriate and without a conflict of interest to then run a special counsel investigation investigating how that job came about? Why did you keep on using it? Why did you still continue to be special counsel once you found out that James Comey broke the law to get you appointed by leaking information from President Trump's FBI files to the New York Times through a professor, professor friend cutout? Why did you hide from the American people for four months Peter Strzok and Lisa's page, Lisa Page's outrageous conduct and anti-Trump and anti-Clinton bias. They fired them, removed them from the position when they were running the Trump investigation for Mueller. And he didn't tell the American people about it for four months. Why did he cover it up? What happened to those text messages that your office deleted of Page and Strzok? Tell us about your contacts with the media. Did you leak to CNN the raid on Roger Stone's office? What were you thinking when you had a guns drawn raid on the home of Paul Manafort? Same with Roger Stone. Tell us about your use of the shady FISA warrants. Did you work with Christopher Steele? Did you work with Fusion GPS? Did you use the conflicted and compromised James Comey? 
Why did you withhold material information from the Mueller report that would have made President Trump look good? Or certainly explain some of his conduct that you were trying to mischaracterize. For instance, you suggested Carter Page was a spy for the Russians, but you left out at the fact that Carter Page had actually helped the FBI prosecute Russians and was an informant for the FBI. Why did you not deal with the dossier other than calling it unverified? Why did you not investigate Hillary Clinton's contacts with Russia intelligence while you're investigating Russia interference in our 2016 elections? Those are just questions off the top of my head. And I'm sure you, fair listener, can come up with a few others on your own based on your knowledge. So Mr. Mueller is supposed to testify on July 17th. I hope he's asked a lot of questions. And I tell you, if, speaking of Attorney General Barr, we talk about investigating the investigators. He's talked about having them investigate how they, um, how the Mueller investigation come about, basically the 2016 FISA warrants and things like that, and whether there was a predicate for spying on President Trump. And to say that is to show that there was no predicate. There's no possible reason to spy on a presidential campaign. There simply isn't. I mean, I guess you can concoct some science fiction-like fantasy that would allow that to take place, but not in this system, could you? But if Barr is to do a thorough investigation, he's got to investigate the Mueller team. Andrew Weissman, a conflicted as well, anti-Trump activist, Judicial Watch proved it. Involved in collaborating with the Associated Press to get Manafort before he was acting, before he was hired to work at the Mueller team. Mueller's number one deputy, Andrew Weissman, went to Hillary Clinton's election night party in New York. Mueller should be asked about that. He should be asked, why couldn't you find anyone who gave money to a Republican to put on your team? Why did you find, why did you just hire Democratic hack activists to work on your prosecution team? Could be an interesting hearing. But we know what the media is going to do. They're going to ex ex uh, blow up everything that Mueller says to try to push uh, the destroyed Trump narrative that they're involved in. Uh, and um, I don't know what Barr's doing, but I can tell you what Judicial Watch is doing. As we're doing with the Clintons, we're doing with Mueller and the deep state. We have over 50 lawsuits, at least a dozen of which relate to Mr. Mueller, trying to find out about these very questions that I've asked. We've already gotten information that Andrew Weissman, for instance, was behind a lot of the hires of these anti-Trump donors on Mueller's team. We got that email again about Andrew Weissman already, showing that he was an anti-Trump activist, praising Sally Yates, the Obama holdover, who was trying to thwart President Trump's first travel ban, lawlessly trying to thwart it. The email shows that Andrew Weissman said, you know, I'm in awe of you. What the heck is he doing there? He should have been nowhere near that investigation. A lot of questions for Robert Mueller I hope the Republicans have their act together 
And I hope Democrats at least have the ethics to ask some tough questions. But of course, they're not going to want to do that because their party is implicated in the scandal. Democratic National Committee was behind the Steele dossier just as much as the Clinton campaign. I tell you what, one thing the president ought to do, he ought to demand information from Congress. Freedom of Information Act doesn't apply to Congress. He should push for that. The president has independent responsibilities to, to get, uh, make recommendations to the Congress on legislation. As part of that, he should be asking for documents from Congress about some of the things I'm asking about. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. Did you know that the Freedom of Information Act doesn't apply to Congress? We're not allowed to ask Congress of anything. President Trump would do well, and frankly, everyone would do well to wonder why it is that Congress is exempt from the ordinary laws of disclosure that other government branches follow. Many state legislatures out, you know, you can check to see your local state. I don't have a state-by-state -state analysis, but many state legislatures are subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Why is in Congress? I've testified repeatedly to Congress before both Democrats, Republicans, well, obviously Democrats and Republicans if I'm testifying in a committee. But when Democrats ran Congress or the Senate and the House, it doesn't matter. I've testified on both sides and I say the same thing. FOIA ought to apply to Congress. Now, Democrats and Republicans don't like that idea. Some do, some don't, but the leadership didn't really like that idea of either party. So maybe that's your little project for next week. Ask your members of Congress what they think about the Freedom of Information Act applying to Congress. See where they come down on it. They probably never thought about it. You'll probably horrify them with the question. So it might be enjoyable just to ask it. Uh, and the crisis, of course, continues on the border. The media has decided that the uh, conditions that um, those seeking asylum are facing in detention centers now deserve attention, despite similar crises in terms of large numbers and the detention centers being overwhelmed occurred during the Obama administration. So for months we were told there's no national emergency on the border. And now that there's a, uh, uh, the, these left-wing Democrats are going down to the border like this freshman congressman from New York and making allegations, in my view, without foundation attacking the Border Patrol who are just doing their best with the limited resources they have. And the response from the left wing and many media acolytes is to say, oh, we can't detain anyone who crosses the border illegally. We can't detain anyone who's asking for asylum no matter how weak their claim. You know what that is? That's open borders. That's anarchy on the border. Even Jay Johnson, do you know who Jay Johnson is? He was the Obama Department of Homeland Security chief. And he said, you know, if they're going to decriminalize crossing the border, which is what a bunch of left-wing candidates are saying now, if you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse in terms of multiple worse. And you have this freshman congressman from New York calling these camps concentration camps. What a smear. What a smear, not only of the poor border patrol, the customs border protection, the ICE people, 
but a smear of us, of you. You don't use the phrase concentration camp outside the Nazi narrative. They're trying to say, well, everyone knows, you know, concentration camp doesn't necessarily mean Nazi concentration, concentration camp. Oh, that's a lie. When I say concentration camp, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The Nazi concentration camps. And they're comparing our having to deal with this border crisis to our being Nazis. That's what the American left thinks of law enforcement. And I just hope the president recognizes that. He can expect no help from the American left, the hardcore left. You know, and these candidates running for presidency, they've decided that open borders is the way in. They're not every Democrat agrees with them. As I said, Jay Johnson said, well, this is just crazy town. And like everything else, Judicial Watch is front and center. So this congressman goes down to the border facility, makes these wild allegations, smears the Border Patrol agents who were there to protect her and protect us. So we've asked under the Freedom of Information Act for videos of that visit. And of course, we've been front and center on the border for years. While Congress and everyone else has been asleep up here in Washington, D.C., we've been talking about the terror threat there. Our people, my colleague Chris Fells down there in Guatemala with our other colleagues trying to figure out about the caravan long before the regular media was on to it. Our people have been down at the border dozens of times. And of course we have litigation to try to uphold the rule of law on immigration. We stood against day labor sites. You know what day labor sites? Gover local governments fund sites where illegal aliens can get illegal work. We went in and tried to stop that. We were successful at times in doing that. We're challenging the sanctuary policy right now in San Francisco, the dangerous sanctuary policy that led to Kate Steinle's death and countless other deaths and carnage. You know, your safety is second to the politics of amnesty and these sanctuary policies. Now, the president has threatened Mexico. Mexico is trying to get a handle, a little much more of a handle, by deploying troops to their southern border or police personnel, whatever you want to call. I don't know what the Mexican equivalent of what they're doing down there is. But that should result in a, in a decrease. And he needs to deport people who are here illegally now. And he made noise about doing it. And the left went crazy. And the people they were focusing on deporting were people here in criminal violation of the law, meaning they had been ordered deported and were avoiding it. It's mass amnesty. And believe me, guys, it isn't about the Hispanic vote. Not every Hispanic wants open borders. Not every Hispanic wants 
amnesty. It's an insult. The left treats ethnic groups as like mindless blobs. But ethnic groups are made up of individuals who have their own views. As conservatives, we recognize individuals. And there are many, many Hispanics. We've done polling over the years that show many Hispanics, near a majority, want the rule of law enforced in immigration. And it's not about the Hispanic vote. Amnesty is about the illegal alien vote, which ties into the debate about the census, the Supreme Court absurd ruling on the census last week that has thrown a monkey wrench into Trump administration plans to include it on the census for 2020. I don't know if it's going to happen or yet. Yet, President Trump wants it to happen. Um, I, you know, his Justice Department and Commerce Department seem to be uh, giving up even before the fight was over. So he looks like he had to step in and do the right thing here and try to say, we're not going to give up that easily. They don't want the census question to ask whether uh, about foreign nationals here in the United States because they want to erase, essentially, the idea of citizenship in the United States by having open borders, by having no distinction legally in terms of voting, government benefits, or anything else between citizens and non-citizens. It's erasing the nation. And my guess is there are a lot of recent immigrants who came here thinking, that isn't what I signed up for when I came here to become a U.S. citizen or came here legally to benefit from the great, this great nation with the hopes of potentially becoming a U.S. citizen. We speak for them in wanting our borders enforced, wanting the rule of law enforced. I've got this amazing idea for immigration uh, reform, folks. Let's enforce the laws on the books. That's a radical concept. You can see the president isn't even allowed to do it. You have judges interfering, anti-Trump judges interfering in that process. So our republic is under assault from a variety of ways, and in a variety of ways, uh, from, from those up, from open border fanatics, from the anti-Trump cabal, And it's all part of a piece. It's not like there's a grand conspiracy, but there's this general consensus that the rule of law and our Constitution is no bar to achieving or obtaining or retaining political power. And politicians of both parties are often tempted to do that, but it's a particular virus among the left right now. So, uh, and your judicial watch is doing its darndest more effectively than Congress, more effectively oftentimes than even the Justice Department and other agencies to, to protect the rule of law here. So uh, we're happy to be able to do it thanks to your support. Now, before I go, you'll notice I'm wearing the Judicial Watch t-shirt. I hope you already have a uh, Judicial Watch t-shirt. We've got a lot of merchandise on our Judicial Watch store website. I don't have the address memorized. You can, we'll link to it. But this is the t-shirt. This is our uh, logo, Judicial Watch, Washington, D.C., the scales of justice. And in the back, let's see. In the back, you'll see, can you see it? 
because no one is above the law. Now, um, that's our motto, because no one is above the law. We do this work to remind people because no one's above the law. A lot of people act as if they're above the law. Sometimes our system acts as if someone's above the law. But we can't have a system where anyone's above the law, and that's why we have this motto. So I encourage you to get this t-shirt. We've got mugs, we've got polo shirts, we've got hats, we've got ties. What else do we have? Keychains, we've got all sorts of great merchandise. And it's a great way to support Judicial Watch because a part of each purchase goes to support our cause. So obviously we've got to pay for the shirt, take a cut off for that, but there's always a portion that goes to support our cause. Or even better, you can donate to us directly at judicialwatch.org and make a straight up contribution. But this is a fun way to support Judicial Watch. And I know uh, we have hundreds of thousands of supporters out there already who give us direct support. And uh, this is just one way to show that you're a member of the team. And I encourage you to join our efforts here uh, to drain the swamp, educate the American people about government corruption, and hopefully make this country a better place, just as our founding fathers intended it here, uh, something worth remembering uh, during this Independence Day week. Have a great week. I'll see you next time here on Judicial Watch's weekly update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.